Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 114, the one about landing speaking engagements, AI workshops, and the film Southern Comfort. Let's get on with the show. And welcome, everyone, to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And my co-host is here with me, a marketing speaker and consultant who spent his whole career helping his customers keep their marketing simple but effective. He's the author of Catsmanta Marketing Plans and the creator of the Rog to Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, my co-host is a digital marketing veteran. He's a speaker, trainer, and advisor with nearly three decades of experience. He enjoys revealing visual storytelling techniques to help you build better online campaigns faster. Everybody, I give you Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much, and thank you everyone for the lovely comments we got a few weeks ago when we published episode 113, but this is episode 114. Remember, this is our long-form audio video magazine source of inspiration, and to make you feel a little less lonely as a market, whether this is your full-time occupation or something that just bolted onto your very, very busy plate. We have many segments, as you know, to go through. We go back in time, we look into recent innovations, we look at you know content that helps us understand what it means to be a market into this economy but we always end with well, let's be frank our favorite segment of the show film marketing and Roger Edward, it was your turn to select the film yes indeed and we are going to be talking this week Pascal about a film called Southern Comfort it's a film not the drink Southern Comfort and that was released way back oh just over 40 years ago in 1981 absolute belter of a film it is, and I do believe this is our first um, kind of use of a Walter Hill movie, if, if memory serves. I think it probably uh, is, yes. Yeah, yeah. We've done, I mean, we've done to date now 13, 14 movies, but Walter Hill is accomplished director. He's done some of my favorite movies, including The Warriors. So, do you know, I'm always excited about by your selection, and uh, it's just wonderful. On the subject of Rock Dog, before we move on to our first segment, I would highly recommend people to watch one of your latest episodes where you suffer for your art, Roger <laughs> Edwards, where you get yourself onto a sleeper train and ask the question, is it possible to get any rest whatsoever from, were you traveling from Edinburgh to London overnight, were you? Yes, I was. I was on the lowland Caledonian sleeper train from Edinburgh to London. Now, the time on the train is about seven and a half to eight hours in terms of how long it takes from when you get on the train in Edinburgh to when you get off the train at London Euston. Watch the video to see how many of those nearly eight hours I managed to sleep on that rather bumpy train. Uh, you must, everyone. It's just, uh, I, I'm sorry to say, uh, it was enjoyable to see you <laughs> in, so, uh, in so much discomfort. But you started telling, and, and the way you, you actually also uh, invite us in this environment, because I'm not familiar at all with those kind of sleeper trains and you give us a, a quick overview as well what's happening in london so now roger rog big fans what we do as you know is we watch it uh, every sunday morning with a bacon sarni and a cup of coffee <laughs> so absolute pleasure everyone it's time to move on with our first segment in the news After being invite only for almost a year, Blue Sky, the new social media platform dreamt up by former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, is now open to anyone who wants to join. 
Okay, well, we'll ask if you want to join. Walmart has acquired TV maker Visio for $2.3 billion, Roger, in cash to accelerate the growth of its Walmart Connect advertising arm and to catch with Amazon, owner of the Fire TV tech line. A survey from No Brainer revealed that more than 70% of UK marketing leaders plan to increase their digital budgets in 2024, citing the need to adapt to changing consumer behaviour and expectations. Where more stats, 60% of shoppers always look for user-generated visual content like photos and videos of products before deciding whether they want to make a purchase. Now that's up 10 points from 2021 levels. According to Statistia, Google was the most popular search engine in the UK in April 2023 with a market share of 93.69% of cross all devices. Bing had approximately 3.75% followed by Yahoo with around one47 Oh, poor Yahoo. Now, Iconos <laughs> Square, a social media analytics and management platform, has launched a new content inspiration feature powered by OpenAI's ChatGPT4. This is to help social media marketers come up with creative and engaging captions and posts. IKEA unveiled its first global marketing campaign titled Do Try This at Home, with an array of customers realising their passions with help from IKEA products, from an older gamer to a child putting on a guitar performance for her friends. And finally, another brand for you, Pizza Hut has been helping its customers break up with their partners, from sending goodbye pies to drafting a breakup text with a link to a gift card. This is all part of the new Pizza Wart campaign rolling out in the US now. And I just can't believe I just read this, so it's a what with a W before the H-U-T piggybacked obviously the Valentine's Day that was celebrated only a few weeks ago helping people uh, currently uh, break I mean, no people break via text messages you know it's it's a done thing you and I had to suffer the humiliation of having to face you know um, actually were you a heartbreaker or a heartbreaky back in the younger days Roger Edwards? Oh I think I was definitely a heartbreaky definitely <laughs> that's why I like music so much because I spent so much time listening to songs which, uh, which uh, reverberated my broken heart <laughs> Can you imagine a situation where I, I've got to assume it's almost like an April's Fool's Day? Did people actually ring the number to order a goodbye pie? Because Pizza Hut is branching into uh, sweet and desserts as well with a honey hot uh, pizza. Goodbye pie, or um, here's a suggestion of a text you can copy and paste to send to your essentially a future ex with a gift uh, card attached to it. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Especially the day that everybody's supposed to be nice to their partners and uh, and, and celebrate love and, and togetherness to to actually be uh, peddling the complete opposite. In fact, when I read when I saw this sentence in the show notes, I actually wondered whether it was a typo. Pizza what what? I thought you just accidentally typed a W in front of the hook word, and it's when you read it out, I thought, oh, it's not a typo. It's actually the case. Uh, it is a bit of a bizarre. Um, campaign but let's face it one of the ways to stand out is to go against the norm and they're definitely doing that here i, I like the humor i like the tongue-in-cheek and it suits them you know as a brand so let me ask you then let's move up to another brand was mentioned ikea uh, its first global marketing campaign so i must confess i assumed wrongly that all marketing campaigns that have been global but what they had done, Roger, was to really localize to different markets, different audiences and so on. And this is essentially an attempt, and I wish them well, of a one message fits all. Um, and it's back to this idea of you, you can see 
the, the the bedroom or the game room, you know, the the older gamer, which would include you and I, I guess. Then, so you can see the items from IKEA, but actually, all the eyes are focused on the antics of those individuals. And do, do you think that's the way to go as well, to be a bit more subtle? I mean, um, decades later, people know about IKEA and this range of products with all the strange names, and it's more about this is what it feels like to be in an IKEA environment. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I like the strap line do try this at home because again that that plays upon a phrase that we all know don't try this at home so i do like that i have to say i'm not a massive ikea fan pascal <laughs> it's not it's not my favorite stores i think trish and i have been once and we hated it it was just it was just tacky beyond belief it's it's the ryanair of furniture stores as far as i'm concerned uh, but i can see its popularity because let's face it it has some really good stuff and it's quite it's quite reasonably priced uh, and therefore it has wide stream appeal and i guess what they're trying to do here is show that it has that wide stream appeal to just about any age group no absolutely before i asked uh, ask you about blue sky i want to just get your reaction on two additional items okay. so the first one is this idea of 60% of shoppers looking for the views of others, but express via photo and videos. And that's up 10% from two, three years ago. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on one hand, the work that you and I do, many of our brands that we support don't want to do actually visual content. You know, they, they struggle with that. They'd rather write about everything. And the photography and video is done under duress. And here you are a situation where actually the very customers you've helped supported recently may become better content creators than you are. Yeah, it, th this, is an, this is an interesting discussion and possibly one we should have when we've got a bit more time. But it's content creators within businesses that seem to have a problem putting a video camera in front of the face, isn't it? Whereas the general public don't seem to have a problem at all holding up a phone um, and taking a selfie. And that's what's happening here. It's I think the 60% of shoppers are actually looking for photographs from their friends or from their, uh, their family. And that's what they're basing the decision on rather than on videos produced by companies themselves so it's it's personal reviews by their peer group i guess um and again it, it makes it quite interesting how it, they like to see a photograph um reviewing a product they're going to buy and if there are no words how do they know whether it's good or not is it just somebody holding up a, a box of um jaffa cakes and doing a thumbs down or, or something mm. like that i don't know but it's quite interesting isn't it i think i think um most people don't have any problem at all creating video content using a phone, but as soon as you put a professional or even a slightly bigger camera in front of their face, they get all shy and scared. Yeah, I know, and and I think you know, I've discussed it before. It's a, a, a multitude of things, but one of it is um, this, this this thought in your head: What will my peers and competitors think of me? And and the whole thing starts to to go away very very quickly. Seventy percent of UK marketing leaders plan to increase budgets. We'll come back to those, this one as well, but sadly, what is meant by this primarily is advertising budget. Yes. And yeah. you and I have said it many a time, you know, marketing is a function, it, it, it's much, much broader than a promotional side. And, and I would like people to extend, you know, the definition of budget to all the many, many things that you can do that belong to the family of marketing. But let me ask you about Blue Sky. So. Um, you know, I saw that the headline about a year ago, but it was only for a selected few. And I got an email about 
a week ago now telling me, hey, guess what? You can join Blue Sky. And that email has been has remained my inbox untouched. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm just too busy. Uh, and I need to actually perhaps, you know, um, please listen, viewers and listeners, do correct me. But I want to sit down and work out the strategy here. You know, what am I going to do with Blue Sky? Because I, I've been there, done that. You have as well, you know, opening up an account, setting up a profile, having a look around, and then you go back to your day-to-day -day and you, you forget all about it. So I don't want to make this mistake with Blue Sky, but yeah, well, where do you stand with uh, this uh, new, it's not new because of course, it was, uh, it's been mentioned many a time and we know that Jack Dorsey was always looking to do an alternative to Twitter. Yeah, now the thing is, is that like you, I saw it when it was launched a year ago, I put myself on the waiting list and I never ever, got an email inviting me over the last year to to jump the queue as it were and uh, to be perfectly honest until i saw this in the show notes when i was reviewing them yesterday i'd completely forgotten about blue sky completely forgotten about blue sky now maybe a year ago when twitter was going under the um, knife as it were and musk was getting his paws on it and changing it to x and it started to become a little bit more of a cesspit to be perfectly honest i did think it was time for an alternative to twitter and i was quite excited about the possibility of something like blue sky and then as i say i put myself on the waiting list never heard anything and then i completely forgot about it and then of course the the meta thing came along um and i joined that and that is very much like twitter uh, so in the best will of the world, I thought I need to get on get onto Blue Sky. I need to register as soon as it comes up now. So I did. I registered yesterday, set my profile up, went into it. It looks pretty much exactly like Twitter did when Jack Dorsey was in charge. And there I was looking at my phone, and I zero followers and zero following. And I thought, can I really be bothered to try? and start again effectively which is what it would need now i've got just short of ten thousand followers on twitter which isn't massive i mean there are some people who've got hundreds of thousands and millions of followers but ten thousand took me nearly 10 years to get and i just don't know whether i've got the energy to effectively start again on another platform which on the face of it is identical to one which we we're already using, albeit that the one we're already using has got some issues now. I mean, every morning I wake up and it's shifted me back to the For You tab, which means that all I get is lots of tweets from right-wing nutjobs going mm. on about wokeism and going on about hate and all of that. And, it, and it, I, I really don't like that part of Twitter now. So I will probably give Blue Sky a go, but at the moment it just looks like I'm sat stood at the bottom of Mount Everest about to make the first step up to the summit. And at the moment, I don't know whether I've got the energy to do it. Well, listen, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that feeling and view is, uh, will be shared by by others as well. But let us know, viewers and listeners, you know, have, you, have you had a go at Blue Sky? Are you, do you have a strategy, tactics? That, I think for me, and I need, I need, I need it to feel different to the others. I, I don't do repetition. People who know me well know that. That's one of my character flow. I, I don't do rep repetitive things. I want to move forward. And so what is unique about Blue Sky? What is the one content format that is unique to the platform that get, can get you excited? Or are you just doing copy and paste jobby from Twitter to threads to uh, Instagram and that kind of thing? Anyway, time will tell. 
Thanks you. Thank you again. Always a pleasure to go through those news items with you and get your reaction. But let's slow things down and go for a deep dive conversation with our next segment, Content Spotlights. All right, Roger Edwards, what is your selection for the Content Spotlights? Okay, um, I've recently been working with um, with a new client and I was asked them, they asked me to give them some advice on putting together presentations, putting together public speaking um, skills and that sort of thing. So it made me start looking again at speaking in general, everything from PowerPoint to apps that can help you put together speeches just to rehearse and get better. And of course, storytelling. And you know me, Pascal, I like to keep things simple. And I came across this article in Forbes magazine on the Forbes magazine website, and it's called Five Steps to Landing Public Speaking Engagements by Ashley Stahl. And it is dead simple. And We've said this before, some of the things I'm going to go through now might seem like the bleeding obvious, especially if you are used to doing public speaking engagements and used to putting presentations together like you and I are. But for somebody who isn't, somebody who's maybe a little bit more nervous about it or somebody who's just starting out, I really do think that this is a great article just to whet your appetite, so um, so to speak. So nice little int introduction about how public speaking is a good way to grow your brand, how it improves your communication skills, and of course, boosts confidence if you can get over that initial fear that you might have. And of course, it talks about the fact that some people make a career out of it and some people make a hell of a lot of money out of it. But here are the five things, very, very briefly, Pascal, that Ashley is saying that you need to do. And the first one is really quite important. Get clear on what you want. And I think that that's a big mistake a lot of speakers make, and, and probably I made these mistakes as well when I was starting out, is do you want to be a, um, a business speaker who who is effectively doing that as a career and you're going to try and earn your entire salary from doing speeches, which is quite a lofty ambition if you've not got out there yet or is it just something which you do to promote your own business to get customers to come and use your business for whatever product it is that you have or is it that you work for a bigger company and you've been asked by them to go out on the road and do events and, and and conferences and that sort of thing so you need to get it clear in your mind what is it that you want to do is it selling yourself is it selling a product for a company you work for or is it something else and i think a lot of people don't actually answer that question and that's why things never happen because they just don't have that goal they don't have that uh, strategy and they don't have that direction that they're going in so very important to get that nailed right at the start and then how do you find events now again in the world of google and the, the world of search and now we've got ai to help us on all of these search platforms you can go in and be absolutely inundated with events and you don't actually know where to start so what ashley's saying here is again keep it really simple but you need to know and you've already answered this question to a certain extent what is the direction you're going in what is the niche that you're talking in is it marketing is it is it um, travel is it fitness whatever it might be and really narrow it down 
to almost like a location and an industry and maybe the word conference or the word event. So if I was looking for events that might be on the go in the UK, I might type into Google United Kingdom marketing conference. Again, sounds obvious, doesn't it? But even putting in that term can make you find quite a lot uh, of stuff that you then need to trawl through and then you need then you you then need to start thinking about approaching people you could also use hashtags as well like business event or conference speaker or keynote speaker or that sort of thing and sometimes you can find events just by going onto an app like um, instagram and searching through the hashtag number three and again this is where a lot of people fall down and me included i've made a few mistakes in this area as well is how to contact event organizers and it's never really about hey i'm a fantastic keynote speaker i can really motivate people i've got this new speech and i'd love to come to your conference and deliver it you've got to learn a bit about the event organizers first maybe review the last few events, if you had, didn't get to go to them, are there any videos online that you can watch? Find out what sort of talk they're looking for. What are the messages? What are the call to, act, to actions? What are the audiences that these conference organizers are going after? And when you contact them, make sure it's all about them. I'm a Yes, I'm a keynote speaker. Yes, I'm a business presenter. But how can I help you make your event successful? How can I help you to motivate your guests? Because that's what they are, the people who come to the conference and guests. How can I help you make your event successful? It's not about me, the speaker. It's about them, the organizers. And again, if you can make that little jump in your head, you really will start to be much more successful in getting gigs because then you'll be a joy to work with and people say do you know that roger edwards that pascal fantoni they really help make our event successful and that's why we're going to be able to run it again the following year now one of the sort of the number four is probably an, an, an addition to that is if you really want to speak at a particular event you might actually have to go a few times first of all now you and i both spoke at a very um, large event which unfortunately no longer exists it was called the youpreneur summit run by chris ducker and we've both spoken at that event pascal but i think we probably went three years or two years running just as attendees to get a feel for it to understand the audience obviously to to talk to chris and to um be um, part of his community before being asked to speak and i think again if you really fancy a uh, an event get in touch with those organizers do all the things i've already said but attend their event as well and attend it as an attendee don't attend it as a potential speaker Go there to learn, and that's where the breakthrough might happen. And finally, ask your network. You know, you have lots of contacts down in the northeast. I have lots of contacts up here in Scotland. If you're looking to do a, a gig in Scotland, you can ask me. If I'm looking to come down to the northeast, I would ask you. Again, it's not rocket science, but if you've got a network who can introduce you to an event organizer, they can probably also give you a really good review at the same time. So that's it, actually. That's it. Really simple. Five 
quite obvious things, but sometimes they can be a little bit of a trip up, which might actually derail some people from being successful. So what do you think of Ashley's article? I like it a lot because we all need reminding, in fact. You know, even you and I, I was listening thinking, yeah, do you know what? Under pressure, I may have missed a step or two. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also nice to hear something that's contrary to the advice out there, which is usually put together a pitch deck, put together that kind of really, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, you know, kind of um, bombastic email introduction and then broadcast that out to all the event organizers you can um, get your hands on on LinkedIn and another. And I think this idea of pay your dues, but actually you learn an enormous amount by being in the audience, maybe in year two or three before um, you get to, to get your sport. You, you know, you might also discover that you were wrong, that event is not for you. That's rather, rather yeah. important, you know, yeah. uh, not quite the right audience. You, you don't get a feel for the tone of the, you know, the way it's organized and, and so on. So, and, and for me, it's almost like market research plus networking combined into one by attending the, those events. And I would, I would extend the discussion and reaction to Ashley's article that that's the same uh, approach for virtual events. You know, you, you could be, you know, hosted virtual sem- summits. We've spoken at virtual conferences, but after me, there's no difference to, to the approach as well, you know. And back to the goal as well, you know, step number one, I think for many of my clients, you know, there, there's still this feeling of speaking at events um, unpaid with a view of being part of marketing and selling strategy is not as good as being paid as a high profile speaker. And we need to find ways to get rid of that strange image, mm-hmm. you know, that um, my my contribution is of lesser value because I'm not the professional speaker mm-hmm. um, being paid and that kind of thing. So on, on the contrary, you know, your goal is to fill the pipeline. You know, your goal is to become top of mind and to get more brand awareness and public speaking is it. And that's your goal. And, and ignore the others and let them get on with their stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that, that if, if anything in that article Doing number one is the most important first step, I think. Interestingly, you will have noticed that I changed my mind in the show notes from yeah. my selection of content spotlight, but by accident, I may have given us a segue from <laughs> your public speaking to my, I suppose, discussion. I'm going to need your help uh, for, for this segment. Something that you and I did before, a recap and reflection on an event that we either attended or delivered. So yesterday, hot of the press, I delivered my first AI and digital marketing masterclass for um, clients we are UMI and business. We had a full house, 23, 25 people from different backgrounds, all entrepreneurs and adventurous spirits from the county Durham, looking at AI and digital marketing. And it, it was really, really uh, quite something to capture um, my current thinking and, and, and yours by extension, because we've discussed this so, so much. And in fact, um, you and many others got the shout out during the delivery of the, of the masterclass, this idea of, you know, what is the contribution and the, and the real one, not just, you know, the side circus, as mentioned by Mark Ritson of AI with regard to the planning stage as well as the execution stage. And I think there's too much of that focus on, you know, cheating and the hacking of AI to produce a thousand tweets uh, within milliseconds when in fact you need, need to do one a day. So you don't need a thousand. And what was interesting is the, you, you've been there, you know, it's, it's actually sometimes hard to structure something that is 
almost become slightly intuitive, you know, or slightly become part of what you do. So there's something very helpful for any speakers out there and anyone that has knowledge to capture it in a way that you need to then pass on to others. So what I went for was a structure where uh, I look back at what is AI, because I wanted to challenge a term artificial intelligence because I needed to change the, the, the name. I also wanted to people, reassure people that it's not new, it's been around forever. As a point of discussion, uh, I was able to show books from the 50s, such as you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, books you know from Asimov, uh, movies, galore from Metropolis all the way to in a, a more recent one. I've always tried to depict a robot and AI, um, good, bad, and ugly. And then we moved on to what is the condition of AI for coming coming up with a better digital marketing strategy? And that was really important. And the two questions I asked were, you know, what are your current activities and what would be new in 2024? Because that's the only way in which, you know, things can go better. And then we followed the, the journey of a typical um, you know, content creator from coming up with ideas to creating the outline to creating the content, to creating images to converting uh, text to audio, audio to text, videos. We we had you know great fun looking at all the possibilities. But what was was interesting is then I ended up with um, a quote from a couple of um, you know high profile figures in the world of AI. But I really went back to the Content Marketing Institute and Robert Rose, who basically says you know you don't need an AI strategy. You need a business strategy that may or may not be supported by AI. And they really kind of had a big smile on their faces because I think what is happening right now with the media and the so-called experts who are very quick to, to add the hashtag AI consultant you know, on their LinkedIn profile, it, we, we're back to the things that has frustrated me for so long on digital marketing, the spokes and mirrors and the weird lingo that you know comes in. Um, you can ask me later, you know, how we challenge the term prompt, how we challenge the term AI and all those things because it, it gives the impression that it's not accessible, that it's not something that people who are not experts at the thing can use. And it's contrary to the intention and, and the vision of the many platforms. So we looked at ChatGPT, of course, we looked at Google Gemini, we looked at Microsoft Copilot and Perplexity, one of my favorites. And I say, no, those people were designed it to, to make your life easier, as in you, not you know those who are very good at coding or very, very clever. And and the discussion around the table was was great and people were asking a lot of questions. And what I was very pleased, I'm pleased to report to you, is the vast, vast majority of the question was around the strategic mm, element mm. of you know being uh, in business as opposed to where can I cheat? And I think this is so important. And we and and let's face it, we're, we're we've said this so many times on this podcast. But new tools are being um, invented every day and have been for as long as we've been doing this show and decades before that. The basic fundamentals of marketing strategy don't change. The technology that surrounds it does. And what you need to do is you need to understand how you can use those tools to augment the marketing strategy that you have. What they don't do is change the way that you put marketing strategy together. Again, it might help you do it quicker. It might help you do it in more detail. But the same idea of identifying a specific group of customers that have a specific issue or a problem or a need allowing you to create a product or service that meets that need preferably better and different to anybody else's 
product out there in the market. And then once you've got that product, you then find a way of communicating it via promotion, via advertising, via content, via social media, and then getting them engaged enough to buy it from you. And yes, AI can help you all the stages along that journey, but the basics of marketing strategy don't change. And and I'm glad that you've had a room full of people who get that because once again, the danger we have is when a new tool like this comes along and you get all the hype that gets built up around it, people suddenly think, I don't need to do all of that strategy stuff anymore because AI will give me all the tweets that I need or AI will give me all the articles that I need. But unless you do the work first, the output will be mediocre. And then the output will be as mediocre as it would have been if you'd written it yourself or if you'd asked an AI bot or whatever it might be to create it for you. What was interesting, so we, um, I went through the challenging of the uh, the language. I always do that with us for SEO, social media, and more. And so we mindset number one, I, I, I might as well share some of the, the tips, you know, that we shared on the day, was around AI, you know, this awful acronym. I mean, it couldn't be any shorter. And this idea of artificial intelligence, I I, I have some sympathy and actually I have, I appreciate what was attempted in, 19, in the 1950s, but I think we moved on with our, uh, the clarity of our, of our thinking. There is nothing intelligent about it and there's nothing artificial about it either. So it's a weird one because this is essentially, and uh, um, you know, what was interesting for me was people were in agreement, you know, they were quite keen to get rid of that statement saying what, what we have and we've had for some time, if you look at the way your mobile phones have behaved over, over time is a digital assistant, but like ultra assistance, it's all theory, no practice. You know, the, the, um, they repeat in powered fashion what they've come across, but they have no comprehension of what that is. So we, we change from AI to digital assistant. We change, of course, and you wrote a great LinkedIn post on that. You know, we change from prompt to a brief, and we call it actually a detailed brief. That was my train a bit moving on. And we did an exercise with the room about, so what would a detailed brief look like and what would it contain? And within moments, you know, the whole room went audience profiling. And mm. it was like, brilliant, well done. Because And so the idea was, if you were to give this document to a real person, what would it contain? So don't shortchange yourself back to the output and, and don't assume that the machinery is going to be smarter than, than you think it is. So um, audience, you know, their descriptions, uh, inclusion, exclusion. So you end up with the, uh, how the flips are full of, of elements for the detailed brief would contain. And so, so can you see whether to a prompt uh, is, is very, very misleading because that brief as literally um, listed on the flip chart will take anybody a good 10 minutes to a quarter of an hour to write. Mm -hmm. But what wouldn't you to get you know, the, the, the better results? And then the third mindset was exactly that, which is don't uh, become slave to the results, always fact check because there's a lot of errors as we know, and use AI to upskill yourself, not de-skill yourself. And I need to go back to actually the, uh, one of the news items I read you know, from this company, Iconosquare, who have invented this AI-powered tool to help people come up with ideas. I can assure you that the vast, vast majority of people working in communication, customer service, and in business, uh, there's no lack of ideas whatsoever. I don't. I don't believe that that's the case. Where there is is a lack of understanding around uh, st strategy and tactics that work. So then we discuss this idea of. So you write a brief um, based on something that you have some understanding, but what if you don't know 
the, um, the, the subject matter at all. So for example, if we take you back to your point about public speaking engagement, what if you don't know a great deal about it? How can you possibly fact check and, and reassure yourself that what you get back is correct? So then you move uh, from detailed brief to what I call one-to-one -one consultation. And what you do there, you use your assistant to go and do some research for you. So we use the example of somebody launching a new product and then you can do some actually quite extensive market research to understand more about the product. You can do research on the price. You can do some research, of course, on promotion. You can do research on the competition. And you can start to gather an understanding. But we did an exercise where somebody had to write sales copy for a brand new product. And writing sales copy is not something that they know a great deal at all. So how can they possibly brief? So what you can do is ask an AI platform that you, you've trained and trust, actually, educate me tell me about the current understanding and practices when it comes to sales copy and we got essentially given methodologies very clearly explained and we were given models and then you kind of go oh i quite like this methodology here give me more examples and give me the pros and cons so you end up in this kind of almost self-study mode and then you're in a position to put together a, a brief so that, to me, is the number one lesson that I took away from my own trainees. This is always the case, isn't it, Roger? Whereby there are clearly two ways now to use any platform like ChatGPT or Copilot. You know about it, and you want to be given additional support and so on, but you have to give a detailed brief. You don't know about it, then you move into one-to-one -one consultation mode, and your AI is a messenger between you and the experts out there, like Roger, many of those have written books and more, and they bring back summaries of that collective knowledge. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you took this approach in your masterclass, Pascal, because let's face it, had you been one of the gurus from the United States, you'd have just gone in there and said, hey, everybody, we're going to find out how to use chat GPT to create a million tweets in 30 seconds or 5,000 articles a day that you can put up on LinkedIn and all of that sort of stuff. And it's bollocks, isn't it? What you've done is you've re in You've just refocused everybody's attention on the fundamentals of marketing strategy. And that's where that's why these people are going to be successful because they are focusing on that strategy rather than the hype that often surrounds the latest shiny toys. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was my aim, and I told him many a time, I want to make you a skilled operator so that, A, you can change platform at any time when it stops working for you. Excellent. Thank you very much for helping me to do a bit of a review and recap on, on that masterclass. And can I just say that? I think that's the first time I've heard you do an American accent. It was pretty good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All this conversation for the past 114 episodes were not possible without the hard work and dedication from visionaries from the distant and recent past. Let's get back in time, Roger, with our next segment, This Week in History. In 1977, the first Computerland franchise store celebrated its two-week opening on South Street in Morrison, Morristown, New Jersey, USA. Wow, well, 10 years prior, in 1966, the first Saturn 1B rocket was launched from Cape Canaveral in Florida and an unmanned suborbital test flight in the Apollo Moon program. In 1984, the British satirical puppet show Spitting Image premieres on ITV. Wow, and in 2004, at the 17th 
Academy Award. The Lord of the Rings Return of the King is nominated for 11 awards and win all 11 awards, including Best Director, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Scores, and Best Costume Design. 20 years ago. Oh, it's, it, it, it's shocking. It's shocking. But the fact is that film definitely deserved to win all of those awards whereas there are some films these days that seem to get awarded for BAFTAs and Oscars and I'm sitting there thinking I really didn't like that film how is it possible that it's been it's been um, given all of these awards that but I mean Lord of the Rings Return of the King wow what what a film what a film <laughs> I didn't realize it was 20 years ago because we have a routine where we watch, um, you know, the um, extended edition Blu-ray uh, every Christmas. So it feels very recent to me, but 20 years ago, that it is just incredible. And 40 years for Spitting Image. Do you know what? It feels as though, bear in mind what's happening around the world, a program like this should come back just for a bit of, uh, you know, light relief. I think it did come back, didn't it? Not... not not so long ago maybe just before the pandemic i think spitting image came back but i just i just think it it was all of its time wasn't it i just don't think it fitted in the modern world now you know you can create facsimiles of everybody with with ai <laughs> technology and, and that sort of thing whereas in you know 40 years ago they were creating these puppets out of rubber and out of uh materials and it, it was just of its time i think but yeah 1984 that was the year i went to university i can't believe how long ago that is but uh, lots of lots of interesting things happening around the, that time let's go back to 1966 you okay. forget you know because everything's focused on the manned mission yes uh, you had an unmanned suborbital which is hard to say test flight of the apollo moon program almost a tongue twister You've, you've, you've got to make more of an effort collectively to remember all those major milestones because otherwise, you know, it's, it's always the, the bit who's got the best PR that is always kind of um, imprinted in, in the collective memory, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and again, you, you, you always forget because everybody does focus on the, the 1969 moon landing and of course, they had to have practice runs and ch check out, test the technology, just as the way they would, you know, a new airliner gets developed and it spends years being tested in all sorts of different scenarios, stress tested, you know, efficiency, fuel economy, whatever it might be, safety. And, uh, you know, with an airplane, they'll, they'll test strength the wings up and down and try to snap them and all of that sort of thing. So, of course, in the years leading up to the moon landing, they had to launch these rockets learn from the mistakes and, and launch again uh, and i think it is actually fascinating to go back and think okay forget the moon landing we know that happened that was massively historical but let's have a look at the lead up to that mm. and that's when you start getting really you start thinking incredible how they managed to put that together in an age when they didn't have the computing power that we now have they didn't have the di digital technology that we now have this was all put together you know with people effectively right working it out on paper that's that's the way it was and and i think that if anything brings to life what we mean by this week in history it's something like this the lead and do you think that 
that's what's important that it it was difficult it was novel because um as good luck would have it and this is pure coincidence i don't want people to accuse us of you know, knowing what we're, we're doing but today you know we had essentially a landing on the moon mm. you know nearly 40 50 years uh, since uh, the last one which was 1972 so um a, a, a rocket i think called odysseus you know uh, landed on, on the moon, um, SpaceX were involved, of course, in terms of blasting it off. Um, and Intuitive Machine is kind of a uh, partner with uh, with NASA. I think it's going to make the, the headlines today, but I, I reckon people are going to forget about it and, and not actually stop for a moment and realize, wow, this is still an accomplishment. But is it because it's easier today that it's not going to be uh, make a big, big um, impact? I think I've just had a I've just had a sort of defining moment in my head here uh, about how <laughs> about the importance of this week in history because when we look at history it's often the culmination of a lot of work that is remembered so the moon landing you know we we've talked about the titanic on this on the show before the film and the actual boat itself and of course everybody remembers the titanic for the fact that it sank you know it's very rare that somebody will go back and actually look at how the how they built it and how it took over a year to build it in these huge shipyards in belfast you know and sometimes it's actually nice to go back and have a look at the events that led up to the thing that we remember in history I want to take you back to 1977 then, and this idea of the computer land franchise, uh, celebrating two weeks and, you know, very popularity. So eventually it became one of the largest computer retailer uh, in the US, but also had stores in Europe, I would say probably in um, the UK, as well as Japan. And what is interesting is 77, um, they launched the computer land because they had some success as I'm IMS associates in doing mail order. <laughs> so people would order a computer by ripping a page from a newspaper, filling it by hand and seeing it by post with a check. And then they would receive what was called at the time the IMS AI, oddly, 8080. And this beast of a machine was looked more like one of those cassette and record players with all the switches going up and down. That was because you literally, nowadays we um, we click on icons and we uh, we click on you know d different kind of shortcuts on our screens. But back then you didn't have that, so you had to switch things on and off in a particular order to to make things uh, happen. And what was interesting is this. Um, IMSAI 8080 became super popular because of a movie called War Games with a very young Matthew Broderick. And so you had this combination of um, a get in there, a create obviously demand, but you know, get your movie, get your product into a film that has been watched by millions of people and would still look at it very, very fondly. But when you look at photos of, the, of that particular computer, it looks like the kind of things you would want to own in your house because you feel <laughs> like you were very, very powerful by switching things on and off with that you know, kind of up and down and, and turning the dials. And then you can plug, of course, um, a small monitor that would be flickering most of the time, very bad for your eye and so on. But computer land, albeit an 80s success story, didn't last beyond that, started life at Computer Shack. 
and very, very nearly went under when they were threatened uh, in, by a lawsuit from the company called Radio Shack, mm -hmm. saying, well, hang on a minute, we're Radio Shack, you can't come along and be Computer Shack, you know, so we're going to sue you. So they changed the, land, the name to Computerland. But actually, that was part of the success because Computerland works better around the world because people know what that is, whereas a shack, you know, in some part of Europe and Japan and so on would have been just um, really bizarre. And then finally, just to show you, the more of the kind of radical and guerrilla marketing techniques of the times. I don't think you get away with this one. The the uh, IMS AI 8080 was actually a clone. It was a carbon copy of the Altair 8800. They <laughs> even gave the same number, but moved them around. They even have give or take you know, the same number of, of letters. I mean, these were proper rebels back in the days, but thanks to them, you know, we, we are operating with the, the computers that, that we know now because, you know, they, they remove things. But people are now looking for this computer and they are building replicas of the IMS AI 8080 uh, themselves. You can buy it uh, as a kit. My goodness, this is so good. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure to go down you know, that memory lane. And because, you know, you, you said it yourself, you know, we owe such a debt to those pioneers, those mavericks, you know, maybe without full marketing techniques, because we are where we are. But let's get back and forward, back into, forward, should I say, into the present and explore some more recent innovation with our next segment, the Marketing Tech and Apps. Okay, my dear friends, so what wonders from the intro have you discovered to help us become better marketers and website managers? Well, we are still sticking with the subject of public speaking and putting together presentations because um, that article that I came uh, across earlier by Ashley wasn't the only thing I discovered this week when I went down the rabbit hole trying to help my client become a better public speaker. Now, there are all sorts of things that can trip us up when we get on stage. We can talk too fast. Sometimes we can talk too slow. Sometimes we can talk in a monotone and it never gets fast and it never gets slow and it can it get, get a little bit boring. And as you would expect, Pascal, there just seems to be an app for everything out there these days. So I've actually got three for you, but it won't take it won't take long. So if you are one of these people who sometimes goes too fast or sometimes goes too slow. Now I'm a big fan actually of varying the pace. I think sometimes you do need to be fast, sometimes you do need to be slow. This is more geared towards people who tend to do one thing. So they're either too fast or they're too slow throughout the whole thing. And this is called the Metronome Tap Tempo Rhythm app that you can download <laughs> from the uh, Apple Store. And as its name would suggest, it's an app version of the good old-fashioned metronome that guitarists and and drummers would use to keep um you know to keep time when playing music and what you do is you set the uh the pace on this metronome app and you try to keep the flow of your talk in keeping with the beat i guess to make sure that you don't speed up and you don't slow down so that's the first one the second one and again we're, we're all guilty of using filler words like um and ah, um, there was a, there was a, a managing director that I used to work with a, a, a few years ago, and he was always saying in terms of. So 
Uh, today, in terms of uh, the presentation, we're going to be talking in terms of, and, and it used to drive me insane, and sometimes people put these filler words in. So there is an app out there that can watch your ums. And believe it or not, it's called the Um app or the Ummo app. And it will listen to you as you give your speech, and it will start to pick up on things that you either repeat too often like if you've got a safety word or something like in terms of like that guy did there or you're just umming and ahhing and it will help you as you rehearse and as you practice to eliminate those filler words and maybe just leave silence in there as you think or whatever it might be so the umo app and the final one and this is possibly very important if you're at an event and you've got speakers before you and after you you don't want to run over time now sometimes if you go to a conference they'll have a dirty great big um, monitor on the floor in front of you um, and it will be ticking down the time giving you how long you've got left but this app that i came across it's actually called the toastmaster timer you can actually set it up so that not only does it give you a countdown for the entire say half an hour or 45 minutes but you can actually have a timer set so that if you know that your presentation's got an introduction maybe two segments in the middle and then a conclusion you can actually set the toastmaster timer so that it counts down each of the sections for you as well so that you don't overrun say segment three in the middle of your presentation and end up having to really rush your conclusion so three really quite remarkable little apps there that i've never i would never even know have known existed had i not been asked to give this person a bit of help on putting together a speech so metronomes umo app and toastmaster timer Fantastic. Yeah, like you. I mean, it makes sense that they should exist, but you don't think about it. And my selection is also informed and inspired by recent work with clients. So this idea of AI content creation being made easier. So we've got to be careful here because if you don't put the, if you don't, rec you know, you're going to reclaim time by using some uh, digital assistance. So what do you do with the extra time? Well, instead of just uh, moving on to the next bit of content, maybe you should spend more time on that content piece to have more depth and more authority so it stands out from from the white noise so i've got a couple of things that i want to recommend so the first one this idea of adding quotes from uh, research papers maybe from stats and trends that others will have missed because they've not taken the trouble to research it there's something called consensus.app and literally whatever subject you look into somebody has done some research somewhere somebody's done some comparison somebody's looked for the answer to your question but is using data and case studies and that will allow you therefore to add those as as citations and quotes into your content i think that's going to be quite important part of your storytelling part of the the flow of information to not just be stuck in making statement without anything to accompany those statements that people, you can invite the theater of the mind i think that's really important so consensus.app is the first one the next one is what about creating content just before it becomes trendy and everything is just gets swallowed up by the white noise? How about you're the first one or two out with a particular you know, thought piece? So people will know of Google Trends. It was mentioned uh, on Two Gigs Martin podcast a while back. You put some, some keyword, key phrases, and based on search behavior, Google can give you an idea of this question or this concern 
is trending. There's a marked increase in interest. Therefore, get out there and be the first one to create the presentation, maybe the article, the podcast, and so on. So there's a solution there called glimpse.com. The website is called meetglimpse.com, and they call themselves Google Trends Supercharged. What they're able to do using AI is actually give you a warning even ahead of Google Trends themselves, about a question, a challenge, a problem that is soon to become very, very popular. So it gives you days, weeks, if not months of competitive advantage by creating content around that trend. So to me, it's going to be where you know the, the conversation needs to be now. Now that the barriers to entry are being lowered by AI as um, for content creation, how do we therefore make our content superior it has to be about deeper research to begin with and perhaps not waiting for everybody else to do it too before you launch your own marketing campaign absolutely i love that actually i mean spotting trends as well is it has always been a way to get views isn't it a lot of people do that on um, on youtube they'll see a trend and they'll create a video about it um I guess the key thing is to make sure that it genuinely does become a trend. You don't want to spend a lot of time putting content together and these meet, meet glimpse people have got it wrong and it doesn't become a trend. But I can absolutely see how useful this would be getting you thinking before the trend actually does develop. It gives you an advantage for yeah. sure because you have more time, uh, you have more reflection time. Therefore, your your conversation and what you express is a lot sharper and even more inviting. This is it, everyone. We've reached the last segment of our video and audio magazine. It's time for film marketing. Just after this. Okay, then, Roger, you chose the 1981 film directed by Walter Hill, Southern Comfort. What a selection. But let's remind ourselves by watching the trailer. It will show you as much about survival as deliverance. As much about human courage as Midnight Express. As much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. The bayous of Louisiana, the home of a little understood group of Americans. They're a peaceful people as long as they're left alone. The National Guard on weekend maneuvers. In 48 hours, they'll be home with their families. There's only one problem. We live back in here. This is our home. They've crossed the boundary into a territory where they don't belong. We ran into some people that are real weird, and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. They violated laws that never knew existed. Somebody figure out where the hell we're going and do it quick. Gotta go east to go north. Damn damn. And the farther they go, the closer they get to
Southern comfort. It's the land of hospitality, unless you don't belong there. Do you know what's fantastic about this trailer, Pascal? I know that you love an old old school trailer like this, which has the voiceover. But what really stood out for me on this one is how, right at the start, it name drops other films to create anticipation for the film that it's trailing. So the voiceover says, it will show you as much about survival as Deliverance. Now, obviously, Deliverance is another film of a similar genre, isn't it? And then it goes mm. on to say, as much about human courage as Midnight Express. Midnight Express was about somebody who was imprisoned in a Turkish jail, oh, I think, if I remember. Oh, horrible. Harrowing film. <laughs> and the final one, and as much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. So what a great way to create an image of about the film that you're, pr- you're promoting than to compare it to other films. Now, I, I, this is possibly one of the first times that I've genuinely come across this sort of approach because actually you'd think, oh, we don't want to compare ourselves to Deliverance or we don't want to compare ourselves to Apocalypse Now because what we might do is push people away and go, make them go and watch that instead. But I just thought immediately this made this trailer so much more intriguing because they were putting pictures in your head about different films that you might have seen and immediately giving you anticipation about how good Southern Comfort was going to be. For me, you know, it's it's this idea of, because you, you, you know the audience, the audience that's going to see this movie will have seen the others and have an appetite for, for more, you know, it's like, like being a collector. And you are absolutely right. It was perfect technique to use, obviously, the voice and, and, and the words to take you back to how it, what it felt like to watch those movies. I think that's important. It's about the, what it felt like to watch Deliverance, what it felt like to watch you know, Apocalypse Now. And for, that, to me, is something that is not done anymore. I think it's probably linked to probably lawsuits and that kind of yes. thing. Yes. Um, although I would imagine if it's from the same studio, that, that, that should be fine. But in any case, you know, 81 different times altogether, there was a lot of movie uh, competing for your time and, and your wallet, you know, the same year, such as Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you've done the research. Am I right in thinking that that was the year of Werewolf in London? Um, I could be completely wrong. I think it um, was. I think it was. Yeah. Um, which I may, if I may, both films been reviewed on film marketing previously as well. <laughs> and I mean, my memory as well was working in a video store back in the early nineties in the UK and this movie being rented out a lot and myself watching it more than, than, than a couple of times back then. Um, so very, very popular and people did appreciate both the storytelling, the setting. I mean, this would have been a very uncomfortable shoot because they were in a natural location and spent most of the time being very wet, very muddy and very miserable. And well, I, I was torn, you know, one has to be careful about bringing labels on movies, but for me, it's between horror and survival because it's just a, a tough story to follow, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I remember I didn't go to the cinema to see it. I think I was one of the people, like you've said, who went into the video store, saw it on the shelf, picked it up, didn't really know what to expect, started watching it. And and it's one of those films that almost has a genre shift, isn't it? Because it starts Mm. out, oh, these are guys on military manoeuvres. And then 
that moment happens when they 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 cross the line and they they um, fall victim to the, uh, the the locals, and then it becomes a like you say a survival movie. And I remember that moment was a real sort of sit up and oh my goodness, I wasn't really expecting that. Um, and from then on, it's like real high octane, edge of the seat. You know, will they survive? Won't they survive? How are they going to get out of this situation? And yes, the environment is really quite scary. It does remind me a little bit of Predator, actually. It's the same sort of, you know, it's in a, in a jungle almost. Mm. Isn't it? The bio is, isn't a jungle as such, but it's it's a swamp and it, and it has lots of vegetation and mud, as you say. And it did have that vibe, I think. Uh, but yeah, a really, really um, harrowing film and one that definitely sticks in the memory for a long time perhaps helped by that incredible raikuda music which is like a sort of combination of sliding guitar and harmonica and southern southern blues i guess Uh, but that really added to the menace i think Uh, so so yeah it's definitely one of those films that um, you may not really know what you're going to get when you start watching it if you've not seen it obviously and then it really does grab you by the scruff of the neck after about 20 minutes when it makes this little genre shift and from that moment on you're absolutely hooked I I mean what is interesting about um, this movie is how quickly you're drawn in by the the characters and therefore we must you know spend a moment to just uh, you know, spend time to congratulate the actors because without their performance, I don't think it would have been as, as interesting a movie. And you could have been thrown into, you could have thrown into the B movie kind of, um, you know, bin at a VHS store saying you can buy this for for a pound. But actually, for me, it's it's an important movie. It's listed now um, as a movie that is worth watching because a the the cinematography, which I keep praising each time we do a review, is stunning. And people who would know Walter Hill's previous work, like The Warriors, A Street Fighter, The Long Riders, you know, he knows how to capture you know moments, and and it, it can move from really. Um, staggering landscape uh, of that vegetation and, and the bayou that we don't know really and nor do, do the characters to extreme close-up with harsh shadows and so on it's just great movie to watch from that point of view but the performances from all of us particularly our two would you call them heroes or protagonists you know how yeah. booth and keith carradine is just absolutely stunning yeah now walter hill a director um apparently drew inspiration from some real life events called the bayou massacres where some National Guards people genuinely had a deadly encounter in the Louisiana Bayou. Um, but I think that at the time, he, the, the public, when they went to see it, felt that he was creating a metaphor for the Vietnam War. Because I guess that if you look at it, you've got American soldiers on exercises in a, in a in a difficult environment a jungle environment bio very similar to, to vietnam coming across an unseen enemy that's often um in the shadows but quite scary and and a formidable enemy as it turns out and that sort of uh theme of survival and the pursuit by those unseen enemies gives you that feeling that it's definitely saying hey we're just i'm just doing a vietnam um, war film here but walter hill actually refutes the fact that that's what he was doing 
you know, he says the film was genuinely just about the survival aspects and the and the uh, the camaraderie and and the, how will we get out of this environment. But when you actually watch it back, you do wonder. You think actually it's so close to what it must have been like in Vietnam. How could it not have been an attempt to create that same sort of thing? But but Hill, you know, obviously says that that wasn't the case. It was shot genuinely in though the bayou though so the environment as you say can't have been very uh uh hospitable for the actors day in day out covered in mud covered in water and presumably being bitten to death by mosquitoes as well so let, let's have a look at some of the marketing now obviously it's 40 odd years ago and there's not that much stuff available we've already seen the trailer loved the trailer and for mm. the reasons i've already said um <laughs> you came across some tv spots as well and and that was a very um popular in its day wasn't it to have the tv spots to support the uh, to, to support the film launch but i wanted to spend a little bit of time just having a look at this absolutely glorious poster now again you've got a very simple image of an american soldier stood ankle deep in swamp uh it's a very sort of um, bleak image sun's going down that sun could be a metaphor for you know the the end of life i guess sun going down and it's just that hostile environment the top at the top of the poster says not since deliverance so again they're referencing another film which is interesting and then the strap line one of quite a few strap lines but this was the main one it's the land of hospitality unless you don't belong there beautifully simple but that one image just evokes the feel the tempo and the, the 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 sort of menace of the entire film i think it's absolutely gloriously simple yeah i mean and that probably is because you have two options you either go for that one or you go for the ensemble cast almost like what we see a lot more today with the marvel universe and so on but then you have a montage of all those different faces and you have to find ways to squeeze things in um you could you could argue it works well for things like star wars and so on but i think this one because it's about it's very atmospheric and you mentioned the music i mean in the trailer the the scene where the camera is sweeping and you, they are framed by two enormous tree trunks and there's just little silhouettes in the water and it seems to go on forever and you wonder how they're gonna how they're gonna ex exit that i think i think you had to do to do that from the marketing point of view you had to go for uh the pleasure of watching this film if there is a pleasure it's literally this idea of what would i do in that situation so in addition to the poster pascal i managed to come across a whole set of lobby cards oh yes <laughs> now this this is this is the first time this has ever happened but i found these lobby cards on ebay of all places um so and they are absolutely gorgeous there's, there's eight of them and and i guess obviously the poster was simple in terms of it just quite tries to evoke the the environment and the, and the setting whereas the lobby cards are a bit more about your ensemble cast so it focuses more on the characters and some of the situations they get into but i think these eight lobby cards are absolutely gorgeous yes and always in eight because if you put them you know in rows of twos then you have the perfect size to fit in the old windows of previous uh, venues and so on but all, if you look at all eight like in the movie you 
don't see any of you know the um, the roll calls you know the threat i mean there's one where they capture obviously someone who's actually innocent in in all these but everything else it's then basically in peril from spotting this humongous bear traps all the way to being in water up to their necks and so on so to understand what has happened to them what is happening and will they will they get out of this you have to go and see the film yeah absolutely so it was launched in on the 25th of september 1981 in the us um and then across the world in the following months it wasn't really a massive commercial success upon release um it only grossed 2.9 million against a budget of 7.6 but as you've already said, um, it faced competition from Raiders of the Lost Ark, American Werewolf in London, and Body Heat as well. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Body Heat is, um, had William Hurt and Kathleen, Kathleen something are in it. That's Turner. A gr- Kathleen Turner. That is a great film, Body Heat. Wow. We Very need to, clever. We need to clever dig movie. that one out. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an initial disappointment but it again it's one of those films isn't it that gains cult status over the years and obviously the vhs tape coming out you 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 worked in the video shop at the time one of the most popular releases people renting it all the time and it over the years it becomes much 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 more popular than it did at the time and it's just about to get a, a 4k ultra hd release which i imagine to watch that print will be absolutely glorious when it was released again the, you know the, the 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 critics roger ebert was was um said that it again he, he he was going on about the metaphor for vietnam um he thought the film was well executed but he didn't feel that they developed the characters enough i'm not convinced that mm, i'm well, not yeah. convinced that i agree with that um in the uk the guardian described it as a study of american character and a national propensity for violence which is quite interesting <laughs> um and he he did love the environment he sort of the bio was just yeah. beautiful but dangerous and again at the time a lot from well i say at the time a, a lot from what i've been able to gather there was a lot of talk again about raikuda's music and how much that added to the atmosphere of the film and again it's one of those scores which once you hear it you think wow this is unlike anything i've ever heard before in a film but it fits perfectly and in, in fact when you now watch the film you can't imagine it having a more traditional orchestrated score i think that sort of guitar slide guitar and harmonica and and, and that cajun rhythm really does give it that power well it's interesting for me of reflecting on what you've just said is is back to the marketing and and it's easy to say, well, what could they have done differently? What was missed? And and potentially, we just don't have the information. And it did happen. But it did surprise me that they didn't lean more on the fact that this was a Walter Hill movie. Yes. Because the the, the audience would have done, oh, the guy that was behind such and such title, you know, the Warriors, Street Fighter, Long Riders. Uh, or, uh, and he's always been able, Walter Hill, to bring really like big names. I mean, Charles Brunson was, was, was in one and, and so on. So 
that surprised me. They didn't lean on, you know, the director uh, as a name to begin with. It wasn't helpful at all, I think, from a marketing point of view, that it took the better part of two years for the movie to be released globally. Mm. So it was a really slow trickle, and you can't really get uh, momentum behind it. You can't get uh, uh, you know people to get excited the way they may get excited behind Raiders. You've got to move a bit faster. But you know, I, I don't know what could have slowed it down. I, I thought maybe distribution rights was one of them. Uh, and I think certainly what may have been um, you know helpful was this idea of potentially playing really to the fact that this is a um, you know a horror survival movie, not a war movie. So mm. you, you need to claim the genre because I would agree that there was confusion. I, I don't actually believe it wasn't a, a allegory to the v Vietnam War. The more I think about it, the more I think, no, no, it's, it's the theme of being away from home and being unsure how to get back home. And the Warriors does that very very well um you could argue that the, the street fighter does that charles bronson's character is in a part of america that he doesn't know so this idea of how do i get home this is like dorothy and the wizard of oz you know mm -hmm. how do i get home and and there's this formidable um obstacle in front of me but it's also i think more story of a group of men different ages different social groups uh, making a mess of, of a situation because ultimately the story is all about a, a, an incident that is caused by them, yes, by a younger, obviously, um, you know, member of, of, of the group. And you've got that shocking because I didn't know this, but th this was X rated, this was an yes. R rated movie, yes. so very much like that same year, Werewolf in London played on it. I would have play then and say you know this is like so bad or so uh, such a horror survival movie it's been x-rated and i would i would have lent on that but again they may have done so we just lack the information yeah and one of the other interesting things is the strap lines the tag lines that would be used for this film now the one that ended up on the post we've already said it's the land of hospitality unless you don't belong there but they did test other strap lines as well and some of these did make it into some of the um, posters in other countries so the bio has its own law and they just broke it which is a is a uh, a nod towards the incident that you just described there you know in 48 hours they'll be home with their families there's just one problem they've just crossed the line they never knew existed and the farther they go the closer they get to nowhere um so they obviously had a lot of uh a lot of experiment there and i actually think that some of the other strap lines that i've just read out probably end to me feel better than the one they ended up using well i think they ended up using something that is very tactical from a marketing mm -hmm. point of view and they wanted to get people to go i remember really enjoying perversely deliverance i want i want more of that let me mm -hmm. go and see you know this this movie um now listen let me ask you a question so You've done it again. I'm going to have to watch this film again now. We're <laughs> probably going to have to watch it very, very soon, if not tonight, over the weekend. I remember vividly having many, many heated debates with um, my customers at the video store about the ending of the movie. Mm. And the debate is still raging to this day, which is <laughs> the last few seconds of the movie with our anti-heroes, if you, if you will, in you know, Powers Booth and Keith Carradine, are they saved by the army or are they recaptured 
by obviously you know the, the locals mm -hmm. so watch it again soon and you tell me but people are still discussing it and arguing one or the other and i thought it was quite a clever way maybe walter hill was hoping for a sequel maybe yeah, or wanted possibly. to let people know that yeah you, you can't get away that easily uh it's gonna be fascinating to get to get your views very soon no we'll be watching this very soon indeed <laughs> thank you very much this was actually a surprise but a superb selection once again roger edward are you going to add this one to your list of war films because you you obviously chose path of glory <laughs> you chose where eagles dare or do you think this is a different genre altogether? no this this doesn't fit this doesn't fit i think that would have to be something like guns of navarone or 1917 or something like that Excellent. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so much for your support. Always a pleasure to get your feedback for this audio and video magazine. So please do subscribe if you haven't done so. Leave your comments and suggestions in your places. Until the next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Here was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintoni. Bye.